Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. Holy Spirit, we choose to lean into you because we believe that we're here today. You desire to speak to us. And so, God, we choose in this moment to open our hearts up wide. And, God, we ask, God, that you would talk to us so loud and so clear that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt when we leave here today, God, that you spoke to us. God, we believe every time we come in your presence, God, that there's an opportunity to grow. There's an opportunity to change. There's an opportunity to get to know you and your heart more. And so, Lord, help us to take advantage of this moment with you today. So, Lord, thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your presence. Do only what you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, listen, this morning I want to begin by uh, reading somewhat of an obscure verse out of 1 Samuel. And uh, if I can kind of set it up quickly in case you're unfamiliar with 1 Samuel, basically you read there that the prophet Samuel, whom the book is obviously named after, was the spiritual leader of Israel for many, many years. And so in other words, whatever Samuel said kind of went. And so there came a day, though, after all those years of him leading, that the elders of Israel actually came to his home and they actually said these words. This is out of First Samuel chapter 8. This is what they said to him. They said, look, you have grown old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. It says, so we want you to appoint us a king to lead and rule over us like all the other nations have. Now, if you continue to read the story, you find that their requests uh, grieved the heart of God because they weren't just rejecting Samuel as their leader, but ultimately they were rejecting God as their leader. And so God said, look, even though I don't agree with what they're wanting, Samuel, go ahead and give them what they want. And so in response, Samuel gathered all the people together, and uh, a young man named Saul from the tribe of Benjamin was chosen to be the first king of Israel. Now, this brings us to the obscure verse that I want to use as our launching pad today. You can look at it on the screen, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. It says this, it says, And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him? Do you see Saul, whom the Lord has chosen? that there is no one like him among all the people. It says, so all the people shouted in approval, long live the king. And then we come to this verse that, once again, this obscure that I want to hear today as our launching pad. It says, then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, and he wrote it in a book, and he laid it up before the Lord. Such a cool verse. Now, in case you're here wondering, you're going, what does the behavior of royalty have to do with us? I want you to know it has everything to do with us, everything to do how we live our lives. Now, now once again, if you can, if I can just kind of tie it all in together, the Bible says this. It says that the Lord is king forever and ever. It says that he is the king of glory. The Bible says, for God is my king. It says that he is eternal king in 1 Timothy. And then it says in 1 Timothy 6 that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, with those verses in mind, I want to remind all of us that according to the Bible, that the moment that you and I became born again, that literally instantly we became the children of God. So when we put that truth together with those verses, it simply means this, is that when we said yes to Jesus, the one who is the king of the universe, became our heavenly father, and we became his royal sons and daughters. 
Right? That's why the Bible says that we are a royal priesthood, even says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, that he has made us kings. And so you today, if you feel like it or not, the truth is in the kingdom of God, you are part of the eternal royal family. Amen? Listen, because that truth, I want you to know today that just as Samuel explained the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book, so did God. It's called the Bible, right? And because like any parent, our Heavenly Father desires for us, His kids, to behave and to conduct our lives in a way that would please and that would honor and that would ultimately reflect Him. In fact, if you continue to read from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you find that it goes from the behavior of royalty, and then God just simply puts it this way. It's the royal law. It's the royal law. Let me show you a verse here in James chapter 2, verse 8. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love. Somebody say love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the behavior of royalty? How does he want his kids to behave? He wants our foundation, how we interact with every single person, to be simply from a place of love. Listen, on that note, several weeks ago I shared with you uh, the time God began to speak to me concerning this behavior. I told you that I was in a Sunday night service, right? It was about 20 years ago. And as I was praying, I heard the Lord simply say this. He said, Quentin, love God, love people, love yourself, and receive love from all three. Now, I'll admit to you again that that seems pretty basic, but the truth is, is those simple words have possibly challenged and healed my heart more than any words that God has ever spoken to me. Now, the funny part is when you sit back and you look at those words, it wasn't like any of that was a newsflash to me. It's like what Christian doesn't think about loving God and loving people, right? But, but there's something about when God speaks, and at that moment I knew that he was personally inviting me once again to come on a journey with him where he wanted to search the deep crevices of my heart in each of those areas, and since that time, what's happened, once again, over 20 years, God has allowed me periodically to see these amazing glimpse after glimpse after glimpse of his heart of love. And, and without a doubt, every time I see a glimpse, it changes me a little bit more. And the reason it changes me is because it changes the way I see him, it changes the way I view people, and it changes the way I view myself. Now, as an example, I gave you a few weeks back, and I keep saying this intentionally, but once again, for the first couple of years of my Christian walk, my motivation for loving him was from a position of fear and performance. And what I mean by that is I was so busy trying to prove to God that I loved him that I just missed the simple meaning of what it means to love him, right? So through these glimpses, I learned that, yes, God's a loving father. Yes, he accepts me. Yes, he loves me unconditionally. He even enjoys spending time with me. And so when I began to catch a, a glimpse of that, the, the love that he put in my heart, it was easier for me to give it back to him, not from a place of works, right, and striving, but it actually came from a place of, of security. It came from a place of rest, and it came from a place of peace, and it came from a place of joy. Am I making any sense to you today? Now, this might seem odd, but, but when that pressure to perform was finally released, it, like, it freed me up to receive his love. And something really neat happened is I began to see myself in his eyes, and I began to love myself the way he loves me. But watch this. It, as, as amazing as that was, and this is where we're going today, as amazing as that was, it didn't stop there because something wonderful began to happen in my heart that I didn't expect when that connection was made is this. I started loving people 
more than I ever did. <laughs> like loving people actually became natural, and in even some cases it became easy. Amen? All right, so here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to unpack this thing called the behavior of royalty, this, this, this law of royalty of what it means to love your neighbor. So I think this, if you and I were honest, we would admit that sometimes as Christians, it's easy to get in our little holy bubble and only love those who look like, smell like, think like, right, talk like, act like, and believe like us. If you know that's true, say, oh, yeah. But how many of you guys know that Jesus, you know, never taught us to only love those who resemble us? Amen, right? Like he actually taught us to love those who are in the family and even those who don't want to be part of the family. And the reason is simply is because he does. In fact, if you can remember what Jesus said, the two grace commandments are. He said in Matthew 22, it says this. We've been reading it for weeks. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, that's the foundation. It says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. It says, you shall love your neighbor. Somebody say neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, to the point, is our neighbor only those who are in the family of God? No, right? In fact, I'm just so grateful that Jesus elaborated on who our neighbor is in Luke chapter 10. And, and more than likely, most of us in the room are familiar with this story. But we find that a guy actually came to him. It was a lawyer. And he said, hey, look, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him the two commandments that I just read to you. And the guy basically, in a very arrogant, sarcastic way, said, well, who's my neighbor? He was trying to put Jesus on the spot. And Jesus, being Jesus, right, discerned the fact that this fellow wasn't looking for some answer. He wasn't looking for wisdom. He was looking for a loophole when it came to people who he didn't want to love. And so in response, Jesus decided to tell this man a story that's known as the parable of the Good Samaritan to teach him what the Father desires, not only for him way back then, but what he still desires for you and I today. So once again, if you're not familiar with this passage, in this parable, Jesus basically told a story about a Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about a 20-mile march or a walk. And um, as this man was on his way, he was attacked, he was robbed, he was beaten, and he was left for dead by a group of bandits. And then Jesus said sometimes later that, that as the man laid there half dead in the road, that a Jewish priest came by, noticed him, saw he was in a heap of mess, and, and actually walked to the other side of the road and kept on cruising. He ignored him. And then a Levite came by, and he did the exact same thing. So there's two guys. There's the poor man, right, lying in the middle of the road, and both of those guys chose to do nothing. And then Jesus said this. And there's a key word in here. He said that a despised Samaritan came along and had compassion on the Jewish traveler. And what did he do? He says he cleaned him up, threw him on his, on his donkey, right, and he took him to town. And then that's where he paid the innkeeper basically to nurse him back to health, right? So he saved the man's life. Now, what I find really interesting about this parable is this. It's the three characters that Jesus chose to use as an example that I think you and I can glean from. So if you remember, the lawyer would have not only respected, but, but he would have actually related to the priest and the Levite because he shared similar values with them. 
And what I mean by that is this, is that's three people who had, in essence, a high ranking in society. And so they shared these common values, but they also shared something else that Jesus didn't think was that great. And it was this, is that they lived off basically and benefited from their seat in society, but they had got to the point where they thought they were so great and so good that they didn't think that it was worth their time to help anybody that was less fortunate than them. And then he comes along and says, you know what, okay, there's the priest, there's the Levite, but what about this Samaritan? And, and once again, Jesus, in his wisdom, talked about this guy because as equally as that lawyer would have respected the priest and the Levite, he would have hated that Samaritan because Jews hated Samaritans because they considered them as half-breeds. And uh, not only because they were a mixed race of the Jews and other tribes who had been in that area going all the way back to the Old Testament, but the reason they also hate them is because they had a mixed form of religion. They had mixed Judaism with paganism, and so these guys just looked down on them and they hated them, right? But let me maybe say it this way to kind of help us understand. In essence, what Jesus was saying was, here's this lawyer He's looking at this Samaritan, and this Samaritan didn't look like, he didn't talk like, he didn't act like, he didn't think like, he didn't believe like him. Yet to Jesus' point, he was saying, look, that guy that he was in such disagreement with, that he hated so bad, that that was the only one who was willing to lay aside his differences between these two races and actually help. That he was the only one who was willing to be inconvenienced. Meaning that obviously that priest had somewhere to go, that Levite had somewhere to go. Where were they going? They were going to church. And here was this Samaritan that was going somewhere else. Clearly it was inconvenient for him, right? But yet he said, you know what? This guy's worth the inconvenience. That he was literally the guy that was willing to pay an actual price of his own money to help the guy get back to health. And even I'll say this, he was the only one who was willing to demonstrate love, which is once again the behavior of royalty. And then Jesus drove the lesson home by asking the lawyer a question of his own. He said this in verse 36. It says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he, meaning the lawyer, and I could kind of see him kind of answering like this. The one who showed him mercy. Have you all ever noticed when we're wrong, we don't really remember? You ever notice that? Well, at least that's what men do, right? So, all right, anyways. But it said this, watch this, the one who showed mercy toward him. And then Jesus said these prophetic words, I believe. He simply said this to you and to me and to that guy, go and do the same. Go and do the same. So to sum up what Jesus was really saying, this guy was like, look, dude, take the person that you dislike and hate the most. Take the person that you would typically not even want to have a conversation with. Take the person that would be the last person on planet Earth that you would want to help. That's your neighbor. So if we can today, once again, we're leaning in going, Lord, speak to me, right? If we can, just like with that story in mind, ask ourselves, like, who's our neighbor? I'm going to ask you to do yourself a favor today and not brush that off as we tend to brush things off that we don't like. Okay? I want you to think about for a moment, who is the last person or the last group of people that you would want to be your neighbor. Because what Jesus is telling us, if we're going to follow him, is that we don't need to just recognize who that person or who those group of people are, but we actually need to love them as we love ourselves. If I can give you a quick personal example to kind of show you when I learned this, 
a few months after Jennifer and I got married, we had uh, completely two different sets of neighbors that lived beside us. On our left side, in other words, if you were standing on a porch and you looked over the hedges of the people that lived next door, it was a, it was a beautiful family of four. They were in their basically mid-30s, and they had two little kids, and uh, both parents were originally born in Romania, and their parents fled the country because of communism, because of, because of Christian persecution, right, religious persecution, and they left, and, uh, and one of them grew up in New York, and the other one grew up in Chicago, and they ended up meeting at a wedding, and they got married, right, so these two Romanian families came together, it was pretty awesome, and... Um, while they were living in the Midwest, what happened was is the, is the husband, he began to hike. Basically, he felt like the Lord put in his heart for him to start climbing the highest peaks in every state. Okay, So he started doing that, and I don't know, he was like 14, 15, something states into that. And, uh, and then in the middle of all that, God spoke to him again and said, Look, the reason I've had you do this is because I've been wanting you to train because I'm calling you to go to the military. And so he ended up being in the special ops world, and, uh, and they ended up actually moving, going to D.C. But my encounter with them, I've just sat back, even all these years later, I'm like, man, they are some of the best neighbors that we've ever had. Like, they were kind, they were giving, man, they were pure, they loved Jesus. And it was an absolute joy just to love them because it was so easy to do so. Right? So that was the family on the left side. But then there was a family on the right side that was, that was a peculiar family of three, right? So, like, the man was really nice, yet somewhat socially awkward. We would uh, bump into each other occasionally. We lived beside each other for three years, and occasionally him coming home from work, me coming home from work, we had talked briefly, and they had this son that was elementary age. He was nice, respectful, and just as socially awkward as his father, okay? But, but then there was the mom, Okay? Have you ever met somebody where you're like, man, everything inside of you is screaming, get away from that person? <laughs> like, like literally, like they give you, in the spirit, they give you the heebie-jeebies, right? And so everything inside of me, every time I would see this woman, I would just like inside scream, man, she's got the crazy gene, <laughs> right? <laughs> Let me say it to you like this. This woman would randomly show up at my door, and she wouldn't do what the normal person did. She wouldn't just be like... What do you do if nobody comes? You go away. <laughs> Not her. She would. And then she would start screaming my name out. And I'm like, we live in a neighborhood, woman. What are you doing, right? She's literally would bang on my door and keep screaming my name until I came to the door. And the only thing I know how to tell you is this. is like, look, when you're sitting at home on a Saturday, man, I have pants on. Right, she's banging on the door, and I'm, I'm hurrying, trying to find something to put on, right, and all that. So I finally, I open the door, and I'm halfway panicking because she's freaking me out so bad. Then I open the door, and she doesn't really say anything. She just hands me a Tupperware bowl of chicken. <laughs> it's a true story. I'm not lying. I'm not making this up, right? And I'd be like, thanks, right? And I'm like, can I even eat this or not? I don't even know, right? <laughs> And so, anyway, so I'd be like, okay, cool. Now, now, most people think that was a really nice gesture. Young, young married couple, right? But, but there was this thing that every time I was around, I was like, man, I cannot put my finger on something is off with this woman, right? And uh, the truth is that she freaked me out, and I say that with 100% honor in my heart. She scared me. 
So shortly after that, Jennifer and I moved across town, and I don't know how, y'all, but we caught wind of something that happened, and we hopped on, on the internet and did a quick search, and, and we discovered that this woman went to another state, so she left her husband and kid at home, she went to another state to see her mom, her and her mom had an argument, a disagreement, and, uh, and she waited till her mother went and took a nap, and then she, then she took a hatchet, and I'll leave it at that, right? And I'm like... That's why she scared me, right? Like crazy, right? It all made sense. Now, here's why I'm bringing that up, because I know that sounds like holy smokes, right? It freaked me out too. So anyways, during that time, that's when the journey really started where Jesus was like, love God, love people, love yourself. And I realized in the midst of having these amazing neighbors and having these other neighbors that Jesus not only loved both of those families, but he wanted me to love both of those families. Am I making sense? How do I know this? I want to show you a verse here that can be quite uh, a kick in the gut. James 2.8. We just read it, but I almost go to verse 9. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. If you do that, you do well. Watch these next words, verse 9. But if you show partiality, if you love that one and not this one, you commit sin. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. In the Greek language, the word show partiality actually means that you sit back and you make a distinction among people. And basically, you choose based off their rank or their influence or, or how amazing or unamazing that you think they are is what you determine if you can love them or not love them. And Jesus says, if you sit back and you work through all that, that you're in sin. You see, the closer I get to Jesus, and I want to say a few things that may make some people feel uncomfortable, but just hear me out for a minute if you can. The closer I get to Jesus, the more and the more I realize, and I've said this stuff to you, and, you know, periodically, but man, I am convinced that Jesus loves the conservative and the liberal. That he loves the educated and the uneducated. That he loves straight people and gay people. That he loves the pro-lifers and the pro-choicers right? He loves the innocent and the guilty. He loves the prostitute, the alcohol, and the addict, right? That he truly loves red, yellow, black, and white, right? Like he really loves Christians, and guess what? Even Muslims, even Mormons, even Jehovah's Witnesses, even New Age folks, and so on. That he loves truly the faithful and the faithless. Listen, that he loves those who bless his name, and he loves those who curse his name, right? He loves those who love him and those who hate him. That he loves those who are born on the right side and those who are on the wrong side of the tracks. That he really loves the rich and the poor. He really loves the giver and the taker. He really loves those who are generous and those who are greedy. He loves the whole, and he loves the broken. I hope you hear me today. That he loves the saved and the unsaved. He loves the righteous, the self-righteous, and the unrighteous. They loves the pure and the impure. He loves the unlovable, the unlikable, and even the unwanted. And here's the wild part about all that, gang, is he loves them all the same. How does he love them? Unconditionally, right? Listen, I know that every one of us would stand up and say that we know that God loves everyone. We would say God loves everyone. But, but, but I'm asking you today to actually consider, do you really believe that? Because if we really believe that, guess what would happen? We would love them too. 
Yes? yes. See, like I know it's really hard to wrap our, you know, finite brains around. But listen, uh, agape doesn't love the right and not love the wrong. That agape doesn't consider the earthly value of a person before he decides to love all the way. That agape is always seeking the highest good for every person, no matter what he or she has or has not done. That agape freely gives and doesn't ask or expect anything in return. In other words, what are we saying? We're saying what the Bible says repeatedly, that God loves without partiality. Now, let me bring a balancing statement here. Watch this. Notice that I did not say that every one of those people are going to go to heaven. And notice that I did not say that God approves or affirms all of their decisions and actions. But we need to understand that Jesus died for every single one of them because he loves them. And I just think today really where there's a conviction, a burden in my heart today is to express to you today is this, is that the bottom line is, is I know people, I know them really well, they only pray for people they love. That's why we pray for ourselves more than most people, because we love ourselves more than most people. Most of the time when we pray for people who are out there, it's really because we're angry. But listen, I, I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, man, I, like I know God can weed through all of that. Like he's bigger than that. But, but at the same time, like, man, is it possible that we are canceling out our prayers because we're griping and complaining and fussing and fighting so much that we want to literally, as God's people, stand up and we want to holler so much for what we're against that we forget to stand up for what we actually believe? Like, what are we known for? What we're for or what we're against? In the day and age we're living in, we're known better for what we're against and what we're for. Right? And that's a problem. Yes? So, so, like, if we could have enough humility in our own hearts to realize, man, was there not a time when God loved us so much that even though he hated and disapproved of the lifestyle we were living, he still came and met us? Like, like did he not look past all of our dirt, all of our sin, all of our failures, our messed up emotions and messed up thinking? And did he not say, you know what, I still love you because I created you in my image? Did he not say, I still love you because I have a purpose for your life? Did he not say, you know what, I love you not because you checked this box and that box and that box. I just love you because I'm love. Amen. Yes, he did. You, you see, there, there's this idea that I have today is I'm like, man, one of my favorite things about living in Maine and not where I used to live in, in the other states of living churches I've worked at is because I have the freedom here that I didn't have there to go and actually be with people who don't know Jesus. When I lived in North Carolina, our church was basically the size of Rockland. That's how many people were there, okay? And that world consumed us so much that everything we did was with Christians. And I very, very, very rarely got to bump elbows unless I was at, at the good old Walmarts. Right? With people who didn't know Jesus. And then I came here and I was like, you know, listen, there's more people in the room here than what was here in the church when we first got here, right? And so I was surrounded by people who didn't know God. Right? 
So my kids started getting involved in things. I started going to different things in the city. And I'm bumping elbows with all these people that don't know God. And something really cool began to happen when I'd go pray. Man, I'd just start crying out for my friends in the city that don't know Jesus. Right? Am I making sense to y'all? And so it was so cool to kind of be out of that holy bubble to go, man, to get a better view and a bigger view of, man, this is why Jesus came. And have a burden for the lost. But here's the difference between who I was 20 years ago and who I am today. 20 years ago, I would get in a room and I just want to win an argument. And I could get somebody to say a sinner's prayer. But I don't know what happened with them after that. Truth is, I didn't really care. Because I won the argument and I got them to say a prayer. Am I making sense? And so it's this idea, man, that, that and let me just say it like to, to you like this. The longer I'm here, the more aware I become of the two enemies that we are fighting as a church, as God's people, okay? And those enemies are this. It's a spirit of religion that has hurt so many people in this area. Like I have met more broken and hurt Christians here than I have anywhere else I've ever lived, Okay? And I've ran into more people here that want to fight with other Christians more than anywhere else I've ever lived. Okay? And the other, basically, enemy we're fighting is this spirit of intellectualism that thinks they're too smart and they don't need God. Now, I sit back and I go, devil, you are so smart. It's brilliant if you think about it. If I can, mean devil, if he can, if he can get the church so wounded and so angry and so hurt where they're focused on themselves and each other and gossip, right, and being offended and bitter and angry and removing themselves from the body of Christ, then what happens is, is he can render them powerless, ineffective. They're not a threat to the kingdom anymore, kingdom of darkness, okay? And so... What's so wild is these people over here don't even realize that they need what these people have over here if they were just whole and well. Once again, it's brilliant. Am I making sense? So to me, I'm just saying this, okay? It's like, how about let's get in our hearts that, man, it's not about being perfect, but it's just simply about loving Jesus and going, Jesus, help me in the process, get to know you more. Right? And you change me, and you, and you do what only you can do in my heart, but I'm going to love you from a pure place, and I'm just going to do the best I can to honor you and love you, and you kind of let him clean you up. Because there's nothing in your life that he can't conquer. Nothing. Okay? And so let's make it our goal to get whole and just start loving one another. Once again, I'm going to look at people and go, you know what? I love you, not because I agree with you and everything, but I love you because we're in the same family. And I can see who God's called you to be. And man, I'm going to speak life into that thing. Right? And so let's get whole so we can actually be well enough to stand against the kingdom of darkness and start actually knocking down some of those spirits that are keeping people from seeing the truth. That's got people blinded. Right? There's like loads I could say, and I hope I'm making sense. Like if you're here in this room, if you were born a block from this building, or if you, you know, traveled well over a thousand miles to get here, but if God has put you here, you're not here by accident. Like, and Jesus has a 
purpose for you being here. And y'all please hear me. That purpose, yes, it has some stuff to do with your own family. Yes, it has stuff to do with your own life of getting connected with him. Yes, it has stuff with God's blessing on your life. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than your happiness. It's bigger than you making money or being successful. It's bigger than you saying, woo, I'm good. I get to go to heaven one day. No, 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 no. You're here because God has a purpose that's connected to another person that more than likely doesn't know him. Right? And it's our job to understand the heart of God well enough that we can actually go out there and be a reflection of him. That Understand that as God's kids, as royalty, we... We represent a different kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. So the way we talk, the way we act, the way we respond, all of that people are watching. Do y'all know actually the, the number one reason why I'm told people don't come to church by people? I shouldn't say the number one. One of the top reasons. There's a lot of reasons. Is they say this. There's too many hypocrites there. Of course there is. We're all hypocrites in this room. Every single one of us, right? Like, know what we should do and don't do. We fall. That's where grace and mercy comes in. I realize that they're using an excuse, but man, if we could just go, okay, I'm going to do the best I can to honor Jesus and remove all those excuses from other people and actually look and go, man, that dude and that gal, man, they're the real deal, right? And I may not agree with them everything, but I can ask questions. I can get to know them, and then let's Jesus do the rest. Like, there's this old saying, basically, that, through relationships, letting God build a bridge from your heart to their heart so Jesus can walk across. Amen. Do it, Lord. Right? All right. Let me read this last verse and we'll be done. Matthew 5. It's when the first Bible verses, Matthew 5, 45, was when the first Bible verses I ever memorized. It says this, Jesus talking, You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. I just want that to sink in. God, make me like you. How many times have we prayed that? Right? To understand how we like him when we just read it. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect. We'll skip down that last part. It says, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Are y'all starting to see the behavior of royalty here? So if you can, think about this. Like, is it really possible to do what Jesus is asking here? Is it possible? You're like, I don't know. Should I say yes or should I say no? <laughs> no. The answer is no in ourselves, but it's yes in him. See, the bottom line is, is, and I've said this before, but God's never going to ask us to do something that he's not willing to come empower us to do. 
right? And so the key thing to remember here is the Bible says when we we're born again, that the love of God was shed abroad in our heart, Romans 5, 5, right? That it was poured in our heart. The agape love that we just talked about a while ago was poured in our hearts. And it's from that agape love. Yes, we get to love him and worship back. Yes, we get to love our family. Yes, we get to love ourselves. But also in that agape love, we get to love people that are his enemies and our enemies that don't like him and don't like us. It's that agape love that helps us do that. Amen? So let's close with this question here, a few of them. Can you imagine like what would happen if, if we could love people, love that neighbor, that person you had maybe in your head earlier, that if you love them in spite of their sin and their failures and their weaknesses or messed up emotions or messed up thinking, like what would happen if you could, if you could actually begin to love them for who they're called to be and not who they currently are? Y'all do realize we have the ability to speak, basically to draw the gold out of people, right? We can draw it out of them, right? We can meet them there in their dysfunction, or we can meet them there and give them life and draw them into life. So, so what would happen if we begin to look at people, once again, as someone who's creating the image of God, someone that God does have a purpose for, and someone that we realize that we are called to love? What would happen if we chose to walk in the behavior of royalty? I believe that God would actually melt a lot of hard hearts, and he would open a lot of eyes, and people would have some pretty amazing encounters with him. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask David to pray. And the reason I'm asking David to pray, and here's the truth. Everybody look here. I, I've, I've known this man for a long time, and I so love this dude. I'm asking him to pray because what I've taught today, I've seen him live it. When this guy has had plenty of opportunities to throw the towel in with people and, and go in his own way, he has dug his feet in and he stood his ground and he's loved people because he believed it was the right thing for him to do through Jesus. Amen. Father, we just thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. We thank you that even in that moment, he knew each and every one of us standing in this room now. He knew the choices that we would make. He knew the path that we would go down. And he willingly went to the cross for us anyway. Father, we thank you for that astounding show of what true love is. We thank you for your mercy and for your kindness. We thank you for the opportunities that you have given to each and every one of us that as we walk this life out, that you endure us and that you strengthen us, that we would be able to be an example of the kind of love that you have shown to us. We thank you for the opportunities that you have placed in our path. We thank you for the moments that we have hung our head and said, I'm done. And that you've reached down and drawn something just a little bit more out to continue to press in, to show that you are God and that you love us and that you are always there and willing to accept us as soon as we turn and run back to you. God, we just thank you for the people that you've placed in our path. We thank you for the opportunities. We thank you for new boldness. That is, we take this message that's been given to us today and that we allow it to settle deep in our heart. We thank you, Father, that the lesson that's been taught here would set in and that we would just dig our heels in just a little bit deeper and we would love just a little bit harder. Father, we thank you for safe travels for everyone going home. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. 
Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.